Our scripture reading this morning is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 25. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well for you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and the houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as, he te- as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we, are, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The word of the Lord. Amen. I I don't know what I was thinking when I sent over that really long text. So sorry, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for plowing right through it. Uh, my name is Confessor Martinez. I'm uh, one of the pastors here um, at the Painted Door. Um, and I, I have to confess, um, starting this off, and when we, we had actually landed on this topic for me a few months ago, um, and it actually turned out to be a, a much harder 
uh, topic to engage in um, than I thought. Um, as many of you know, Kim and I are expecting our 10th child, um, and there are some uh, complications uh, with the pregnancy um, and some just a very grim outlook. And as I was going through this, my heart just kept pulling me back um, to our unborn son, Joshua, and wondering, um, will we get a chance to be able to parent him the way we've parented um, all our children. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up up front and, uh, and let you know that uh, I'm not really sure fully where, where the sermon is actually going to go, um, how it's going to land, and my heart's just kind of leading me in a bunch of different directions. Um, but I want to try as best I can to remain faithful to the text. Um, so we are in the series uh, Dividing Walls, and uh, last week Pastor Mark was uh, teaching uh, through the dividing walls of... of um, media consumption, uh, and in that he had told a story um, about his father uh, and himself taking a long fishing trip, um, and I don't know, like, when he was preaching that story, I mean, one, it was a really great story, um, but my heart was just beating out of my chest, and whenever I hear a story about a father and a son, it usually starts off with me feeling this sense of anxiousness deep in my heart, you know, there's always a sense of loss that's attributed to that. And I also kept expecting for something to go wrong. <laughs> you know, like his father falls off the boat or he gets a hook stuck in his eye or something. But there's always something thinking that whenever someone is relating a story uh, regarding uh, a parent or a, in particular a father, I'm always expecting the worst. Um, and that's just part of, you know, where I am in life and just part of this journey that God has just brought me, me in and, and my family in. Um, so the dividing wall we're actually teaching on this week will be raising children or parenting. And in parenting, we see, you know, every parent wants to do their very best um, for their children. They always set out to say, hey, you know, whatever happens, I want my children to be better than me, to do better than me, and whatever station of life that is. Um, we always want our children to prosper. And there's actually no shortage of parenting tools out there, um, from books to CDs to whatever you want. Um, you can find out there on, on the Internet to different types of parenting styles. Um, and there's about five parenting styles um, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but I, I, didn't, I just got really tired of trying to find them all. But, you know, the first one that actually both Kim and I um, do this particular type of is attachment-style parenting, um, where essentially uh, it's, it, it means what it says. You know, there's a lot of uh, wearing your baby, sleeping with your baby, we don't let our babies cry, we feed on demand, you know, stuff like that. That's typically like a really raw... You know, and my wife is probably like, ooh, there's so much more to attachment parenting than what you just said. Um, but that's just a really raw, you know, easy version of attachment parenting. And then there's helicopter parenting, and that one kind of is, you know, self-explanatory. It's like we're typically where the parents tend to hover over their children and almost micromanage their lives. And you basically see some of the parents that are always following their little babies or make sure they don't fall and they have their children wrapped in pillows and cotton and stuff like that. Um, and another style of parenting is free-range parenting, where also that is self-explanatory, where the parents can, to some extent, could care less what their children do. And it's like, hey, your kid's out there eating dirt. And we're like, yeah, 
so what? You know, they'll be okay. Um, but that's usually more of this free exercise. Uh, depending on the safety of the culture and the community, um, some parents are more apt to do that as they want their kids to just kind of learn and explore and learn about life and nature um, without a lot of restraints. Um, and then there's another one uh, called Tiger Mom Parenting, which is fairly new, which is the exact opposite of free-range parenting, which is more, you know, more rule-based, more law-based, in a sense, and more outcome-based type parenting, where it's really rigid, um, where they want the children to excel, and so there's just a lot of rules and a lot of laws, a lot of structure implied in that. And again, if I'm offending you and you're a parent and you're doing one of these parenting styles, feel free to email me. My email address is uh, Wes. Uh, at tpd.church. That's W-E-S at tpd.church. You can email me any, any question, any concern, right to that. I'll, I'll, I'll answer as soon as I can. But then there's, there's also a fifth category of parenting. It's the Darwin parenting style. Um, and it's the parenting style that I was raised in. It's essentially, it's like the survival of the fittest. And it's a combination between free-range parenting and that reality shows survivors. So the way we grew up is, if you made it to being to teenage years, you basically survived. You know, you win, you leave the house, you come back whenever you want, you eat whenever you want. There's usually food in the kitchen if you're lucky enough to make it in time. Um, and there is no prize at the end if you manage to make it to the age of 16 or 18. You just now learn to live on your own from that point on. Um, and that, you know, can be funny and to some extent, but then also not, you know, and there's this bond, this intrinsic bond that children share with their parents. And, you know, parents typically fall under one of these categories or try to parent their children because they want desperately to offer up what is best for their children. Um... I told my wife that I would do my best not to bring out my notes because my notes actually tend to trip me up. I'm not, I'm not the, the kind that pastor who writes out all his notes, uh, and I'm still kind of getting accustomed to being up here and preaching again in front of, a, in front of an audience, but I want to make sure that I don't miss uh, certain things. And so just kind of getting back to uh, Mark's story, I love the way it ultimately Landed in that the world is always competing, and parents know this off too well because that's this is why we try desperately to have our children be better than than what we are, because um, the world is always competing for the attention and the affection um, of our children, and the world is always trying to shape and mold people in its identity, and you see that. Uh, how easy it is to move from the new cultural whim to the next and back and forth. And the church actually stands and tries to hold firm to the doctrines of the gospel. And in that, and Mark was laying that out, he landed by simply saying that regardless of what happens in life, and it's always the simple truth that for our kids to know is that God is a God of love and that God loves us unreservedly. And actually, Nancy Kane, who's an associate professor um, at Moody and a program director of spiritual life formation, has said that really the greatest miracle in life is for us as God's children to truly believe 
that God loves us. Now, I know we hear that all the time, and I know it just sounds so incredibly cliche to say that. But ultimately, at the crux of all our woes is that thought, does God truly and really love me? Um, And of course, the answer is yes. And so this is where we actually lead into parenting. Um, Because our parents oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, do not give us what we believe we need. And actually, and, and I need to apologize to the slide people. So I've got a list of scripture references. So I may hit those and I may not hit those. I might hit them completely out of order and, or not. But I'm, I'm just going to flow with where I believe the Spirit is actually leading me how to flow in, um, with this text. But in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 20, after it goes through essentially the first part, 6, 4, 7, which is the Shema, which uh, lays out a prayer for the, for the Israelites to pray twice a day uh, in, remind, in reminding the children of Israel who the Lord, their God, is. Toward the end of all that, it gives an entire discourse on how to raise your children, to teach them in the morning, to cheat them at night, to teach them during dinner, breakfast, and on and on and on. Just continue to give this um, teaching of who Christ is, or who God is in, the life, in, in their lives. And then in verse 20, as you go through all that, when they've made it to the land where they're living well, there's this verse, verse 20, and it says, And when your sons come of age, and they begin to question you on why of all these statues, or all, what, are, what do all these testimonies mean? And that's really right now, I think, in some ways, where most of us in this gathering find ourselves to stomach, some extent as we're beginning to become parents ourselves or we're entering into new, into new relationships through marriage as we're looking back at how we were parented. And oftentimes, we see more just the glaring inconsistencies or even in the shift in theology from where we're at and where our parents are at. And because there's such an intimate connection between a child and his parent, sometimes those inconsistencies can actually cut deep into the soul. I mean, parents, the words of parents have great power over the lives of their children. And so... Sorry, I'm a little want to get back to here. So if we follow from Deuteronomy 6 all the way down to where it's end, to where it ends, we can see that the task that's laid before the parents is really a difficult task for the parents to land. Because not only do they have to raise the children in the admonition of the Lord, but have to raise them in a way where they also are respecters of the law. And so I'm looking at this, and this is where the wrestling began as I'm trying to put this together because I'm living in both worlds, one as someone who was parented, obviously, and someone who is parenting a rather large family. And in my family growing up, there's just a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain as I look back at how we were parented 
and usually rather poorly. Um, in my household growing up, um, there was a lot of uh, physical abuse, a lot of emotional abuse, and a lot of spiritual abuse. And really, I grew up as an exasperated child. In Ephesians 6, 4, it talks about fathers not exasperating your children or not provoking your children to anger. And I think to some extent, we actually are living in a generation of exasperated and provoked children. And the abuse or that exasperation doesn't have to be in the same category as it was for me. It really is not difficult to exasperate or to provoke a child. And I know this all too well as I'm like going back from my past and journeying into my present as I relate to some of my, my own children. And I asked several of them if I can share a couple of stories. Um, and I wish... I mean, there are some really awesome stories because in, in reality, I'm a really awesome father. Um, um, but I haven't always been. And I think I've shared this a little bit um, in part of my testimony, but I think it just bears sharing a little bit more of that story. Um, I was up late last night, stuck right in the spot, trying to figure out um, how can I write about this? How can I say... I share this in a way, and, and without really knowing, in a way that was safe for me to share, or in a way that my hypocrisy wasn't so glaring. And then I realized, after talking with my daughter, Naya, that there's just no way to do that. That I have to stand here in front of you guys and say, I cannot fulfill, or I have not fulfilled, even the simplest parts of Deuteronomy that with some of my kids but I just want to highlight my relationship with Naya um, because in some ways that's the hardest story Um, with my older ones it's a little bit easier it's a little bit nicer Um, but for Naya and I we're very similar in personality uh, in so many ways and we're very uh, um and the Enneagram, I think we would be number, number threes or nines. I can't remember. I'm new to the class, but um, we both have very aggressive styles of personality. Um, and right from birth, really, um, I think maybe she, you know, we knew that Naya was going to be much different than the rest of our, than the rest of our children. If you know Naya, Naya is a very high eye, outgoing personality. Um, and I used to be like that. Um, and Naya always, from the beginning, seemed like just continually challenged us as parents and our parenting staff. It was always pushing the envelope. And not only that, but whenever we would be somewhere, uh, as a group, Naya would always stray off and kind of go somewhere else and want to hang out with a whole nother family. <laughs> you know? So it wouldn't be uncommon that she would just be hanging out with this whole other group somewhere else. You know? And as long as we could see her, we're like, okay, she's okay. Um, and one day at, at, at Gurney Mills, um, she got lost. Or, or, excuse me, we lost sight of her. Um, 
and she was right next to me looking at some reptiles and I turned around in one direction I looked and she was just gone um, I mean when I say gone she was gone for about at least 10 to 15 minutes we couldn't find her in Gurney Mills and we had just finished eating at this restaurant I remember running into this really crowded restaurant and standing almost in the middle of the floor with a uh, with a lot of people that weren't necessarily from the culture that I grew up in. And I yelled, Naya! <laughs> you know, where are you? And of course, everyone, everyone just totally freaked out. Um, but nobody was willing to help find my daughter. Um, so I'm running down the, in the mall in different directions. And finally, some guy is like, are you looking for this little girl, blah, 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 here like this? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I saw her like five minutes ago, all alone, just walking. And I'm like, ah, oh, why didn't you stop her? He's like, ah, uh, she just looked like she knew where she was going, you know? And, and she had so much confidence. And so he pointed the direction, I threw my sandals off, and I just went running uh, down Gurney Mill. Not, it was, uh, yeah, I think maybe it was Gurney Mill Mall or... Um, and then I get to the end of this long hallway of different, different shops and there's this crowd of people standing next to I think it was like a Fannie Mae candy shop and so as I break through the crowd there's Naya standing on the table eating a giant chocolate chip cookie entertaining everyone around her not knowing that, that we had died three times looking for her that's Naya and she's that way she'll always be that way and she'll always be pushing the limits for Kim and myself and I remember us talking I mean or when she was still again young that we're going to have to in some ways like begin to release Naya to be free so that we don't constrain her and kill her spirit. But I found myself doing the exact opposite, you know, throughout the course of her life. It's just slowly withering her away and killing her spirit. I would say harsh words to her. I would almost at times in a very odd way sit there and just kind of wait for her to do something wrong so I could just pounce on her and I could feel the distance between her and I growing and then just felt powerless to bridge that gap powerless because of all my own insecurities and my own issues that I could not approach her. It's very difficult. And, and now, Anaya herself has kind of gone through um, a period of anger and hardship. And she's reconciled those feelings um, with Christ and has found herself in a place to be able to extend a measure of forgiveness Toward me, And so our relationship is not in this chaotic place anymore. 
but it, it is in this place of rebuilding. Um, and I know that for us, it is going to take some time to build that relationship back up slowly, brick by brick, as I slowly begin to regain trust with my daughter. At a certain point, I needed to offer or I needed to ask for her forgiveness. And it was hard. Because as a parent, it's really difficult to find yourself in a sense, both living in the authority that God has given you as the parent, but also as submitting to a child that you have wounded in some way. And to receive from her forgiveness and to allow Naya to minister to me. And it's been sweet ever since. Um, and we've both, even though you know she's been in this, this kind of wild child type person, we are genuinely very excited in the direction that God is, is ultimately taking her. And we know that God has used my issues to begin to write out Naya's story. And as God uses that to showcase himself to Naya. So in Isaiah 49, uh, verse 14, God in the same way is talking to the children of Israel and they had essentially reached the point with him where they said, well, Father, we just feel, in a, they don't say, Father, we have feel, we feel, but you have abandoned us, you have forsaken us. And sometimes those are the very questions we get from our children as, our, as we look back at our parents and we say, what happened? You know, I feel this way that you've hurt me, you've wronged me. And after they bring that accusation against God in verse 14 or 15, God says, can a mother forget the infant at her breast? Can she walk away from the child she bore? And I know there's like a lot of new moms here and a lot of expectant moms. And can you imagine what it will be like if we tried to get in between that mother and that child? How quickly she would dispatch you like the lone wolf samurai. And parts of your body would just begin to fall without you realizing that she is taking you down. I remember, uh, this is not in my notes, and I've been saying a lot of things that haven't been in my notes, but that's okay. Um, there was this incident that Kim is a dog lover, um, and for a while she was breeding um, Boston Terriers, and she's got one favorite dog, Akira, who's still with us now, who's pretty old. And a few years back um, at our old house, I was sitting on the couch. Someone rang the doorbell or knocked on the door. The dog went crazy, of course, was really excited, jumped on the couch, and like literally relieved herself all over me. And I was like, you know, and this is back then when I was an angry man. Um, so I threw the dog off me onto the floor, and I'm like, you dumb dog. And so she's thinking I'm playing, so she's running around my feet. So I go to kick her um, because I'm that kind of guy. And Kim sees, and she, <laughs> she says, hey, man, basically like that, don't kick my dog. 
And so she stands in between me and the dog. So she, like, tensed up on me, you know? I'm like, whoa, what's this? So I try to go around Kim. So I put my arm around her, and I try to move her. But she had, like, made herself firm in the crown, and it was like trying to move a tree. So I tried to push her. She was like... And, she's, and she said, I said, don't kick my dog. And so I went over to try to kick around her because clearly I could not move her out of my way. And she just like put her claws, her fingernails into my chest. And she, as she said, I said no. She slowly raked her fingernails down my chest. And... Uh, I ran to the bathroom um, like, a little, like a little scared boy, <laughs> lifted up my shirt, and there, sure enough, there they were, her, <laughs> her fingernail marks running down my chest all the way to the top of my gut, and I'm like, oh, no, my wife just literally beat me up. Um, so that's the intensity that God is saying, could a mother, would a mother leave or abandon her newborn baby? The answer is, yes, a mother could. We see it all too often. That oftentimes parents choose the selfish road than to be there for their children. Do fathers have the capacity to abandon their children? I'm a product of that. And there are communities in the city of Chicago where that's happening in great numbers. So yes, fathers have the capacity to abandon their children too or to forsake their children. And it doesn't have to be simply physical abandonment. Emotional abandonment, study shows, is just as problematic, just as traumatizing as physical abandonment. To live in a place where you feel like you don't exist, like you don't matter, creates so much trauma and so many issues in the individual life, in the, in the individual's life. And as we grow and have our own children, there's a natural tendency to begin to pass that pain and the trauma down. And to interact with our children in the same manner. Maybe not to the fullest, to the same capacity, but in one way or another, we tend to just naturally gravitate to that. And so we can be present, but not be present. We can physically be there, but emotionally abandon our children. as we move down to verse 15 and 16 God essentially says I'm not like that I'm not like your mothers I am not like your fathers I will never leave you he will never forsake you But he doesn't just leave it there at those words in Isaiah. He actually says, look in the palm of my hands. 
I have chiseled your names in them. And this is obviously way before the crucifixion of Christ. That he literally says that your name has been hammered into the palm of my hands. How could I ever forget you? And that will be a constant reminder of who you are to me. Now, back in those days, um, it wasn't uncommon for a slave to be marked um, by, according to the master that he owned, either a tattoo uh, somewhere on his body, on his hands, an earring, or any type of way that could be an identifiable mark that you belong to a particular master. But here, God takes that and he flips it and he takes your name, he takes my name, and he chisels it into his hand. So he just takes his words and now he produces action out of them. He says, you belong to me forever. So what does that do for us? What does that produce in us as we yield to that truth? We, and I'm like feeling or getting the sense, like when Mark was telling the story and my heart was beating out of my chest, can this, you know, can this type of love that God has to offer be true? Yes, it can be true. Allow yourself to sink in it. Allow yourself to feel the weight of God's love for you. Allow the unconditional aspect of it to just marinate in your mind and allow it to filter down into the core of your being. Submit to this reality. Submit to this truth. Why? Because when parents like me fail you or go down you don't go down with it you don't go down with me our goal as parents is to see Christ increase in the life of our children as we decrease it doesn't mean that we become insignificant it means that as they grow and mature that their identity and everything and who they are rests Solely on who they are in Christ. So if I fail or if I die or something else happens to me, that my children's identity is firmly in the palms of the hands of God. Of course, we all want to play significant roles in the lives of our children, as we should. But our greatest responsibility in parenting and our greatest responsibility as children who are parented is to showcase this truth. So what else does this produce for us when we're firmly in the grasp of our Savior? What produces a greater sense of love, a greater sense of forgiveness so we can look back at our parents' that potentially failed us 
And we can extend to them a greater measure of grace because we can say, my life and the way I live my life is not dependent on what you gave me or what you didn't give me. That I am firmly in the grasp of my Father. And whether or not we receive the full weight of reconciliation with our parents, it doesn't matter. And I'm not peddling this phony forgive and forget theology or as um, the great wise man Ron Kelso told me a couple nights ago, it's really now forgive and process through all the pain and hurt. And what does forgiveness ultimately look like in the life of a believer? It looks like this. Forgiveness is painful. Forgiveness is bloody. Forgiveness is hard. Because in some sense, as children, we say, there is a debt owed to me as a child. There is a loss in me. There is a gaping hole in me that is hard to fill. And the Savior steps in and he says, I can fill it. I can satisfy it. I can quench the thirst that you have. And so when all that pain and all that hurt and all that sorrow and all that discontent starts rushing back, which it does. That's why it's not a forgive and forget type of theology. It's one that says when all that comes back in the, in the dark moments of our lives, in the dark night of, of our souls, we are reminded, one, we can go one of two directions. We can either head back into despair or we can go back to the cross and run into the arms of the Savior who is all too willing to lavish us with his love, to embrace us as we crumble up and weep in his arms. Because we know that the Savior is in the sorrow with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you never grow weary of your children. Father, we thank you that we are always present in your mind and in your thoughts. That in fact, the Son, Christ, is continually praying and petitioning for us on our behalf. Petitioning to you on our behalf. Father, may we surrender and receive the wonderfulness and how you delight in lavishing us with your love. In your name I pray, amen. Well, we're going to continue um, in our worship service. Um, we're going to continue in several ways. One, we're going we're to sing um, some, some more songs and we're going to worship Christ. Um, we're also going to uh, give of our resource um, to the church. So... Um, Let's do it.